welcome to episode 115 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, a discussion about the hottest driver in NASCAR, not named Kyle Larson. Yeah, we're going in-depth on Ty Gibbs, where he stands out from an analytical standpoint, and if his success says anything about the truck series. We'll get to it. That, plus our big Indy Road Course preview, and what we can predict as the cup cars hit the track for the first time. But first, as always, we start, David, with a look back to a very specific moment at the inaugural Brickyard 400 way back in 1994. David, some listeners may know what I'm talking about, but before I start and get to that exact moment, just give me your perspective on what that race meant to you back in the day, the inaugural Brickyard 400, because it was a huge deal. As someone who was raised in Florida and very close to Daytona and stock car racing in general, I don't know. I, I don't really know what to make of it. IndyCar was always this uh, this foreign thing to me, or cart. I mean, I think back, maybe the heyday was... Mario Andretti and Michael Andretti and Nigel Mansell came in. And to me, that was the apex of my memory of it. But having NASCAR actually go to Indianapolis, I mean, it kind of felt surreal. Um, I recall the original, uh, maybe a year in advance testing session, Richard Petty was the first car on the track at Indianapolis. And then to have it all culminate into one big event with a huge uh, car count, at least to just get into the field. It, I mean, it was interesting. It was, it was spectacle, but also I didn't really have as much of an emotional tie to it as a lot of fans, especially fans living inside the state of Indiana. So, um, a little bit different. And I, and I, I kind of, I guess I still kind of feel that way because we're going to the road course this week and I feel kind of excited to see the road course. I really don't miss the oval, but I also am not tethered to that as just this overwhelming memory. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I'm sad not to be on the oval. I hold it in the highest of high regards. Just that that's how I hold Indianapolis motor speedway. Just as a race fan, I tell everybody it's my favorite racetrack, even though, you know, you can't see a lot of the racing. Sometimes it's not good, especially with cup cars, but just being there, man, it is so much history and all that stuff. I love the Indy 500. So for me, when the cup cars went there, I mean, I just remember everything about it, David, like you said, the huge, there's 60 plus cars, I think wanting to make that race, uh, for some reason i know hb bailey was the first one to make a qualifying attempt why do i remember that i don't know rick mass you know had the poll i mean all this stuff that i just remember the huge crowd it was such a huge deal for for anything other than indy cars to be on indianapolis motor speedway so of course i remember uh so many aspects of that and this was 1994 it was Look, we're, we're talking about the the height of the tire wars back then. Some people don't remember that Hoosier was in the sport for a while, and you know they'd win at some tracks, and Goodyear's would win at other tracks, and and carrying the banner for Hoosiers was Jeff Bodine, and Jeff Bodine was really doing well in the Brickyard 400, leading a lot of laps. But even back then, it was a track position race, David. And just after lap 100, it was a pit stop, a caution, or something. Leader Jeff Bodine takes four. His brother in the 26 car, Brett Bodine, took two tires, put him out front. And that's where our moment begins, David, because let's paint the picture just again. This is, what, 1994? I'm not even 12 years old yet. I'm just on the cusp, right, of being an adolescent. 
childhood is ending, right? The innocence of childhood. And what a way to thrust me into adulthood and to know there's evil in the world, David. When just after the lap 100 restart, Jeff Bodine, the faster car, kind of, not not roughs up, but taps his brother, Brett Bodine, and gets by him for the lead. In the very next corner, Brett Bodine intentionally takes his brother out of the biggest race, maybe in the history of NASCAR at that point, just takes him out. And here I am, this little kid. I'm an only child. I don't understand this dynamic of siblings and all this stuff. And I see his own brother take him out of the biggest race of their lifetimes. And it just, it crushed my little childhood world. And I knew at that point, David, there were bad things in this world. And we had I had to learn to experience them and deal with them in life because it got real in that moment. And that is seriously how big of a moment this was to 11-year-old me. And I feel, David, that some people don't even remember this moment. That's what makes it so crazy to me is that it was such a significant moment to me. And then some people don't even remember it because Jeff Gordon would go on to win all that stuff. But for me, Brett Bodine taking out his own brother in the biggest race ever was such a significant thing in my life. And what I felt in in the racing world that I, I don't understand why not everybody talks about it all the time. Makes me happy that I'm an only child. Uh, <laughs> I have I have no regrets about my own upbringing. Uh, I know you you've chronicled this before uh, in your television endeavors. Have you learned anything more behind the scenes between the Bodine brothers? Because this feels like something that doesn't just go away quietly within the family. No, and, and yeah, that was I mean the privilege of it all, right? I mean, I mean, growing up to be a race fan and growing up to be a, a media professional, if you will, I had the privilege to kind of take this passion and make a story out of it way back when. For NASCAR.com, I think it was 2013, 2014, but I got to sit down both uh, Jeff and Brett right next to each other and talk about what I learned. I mean, Brett Bodine right in the story says, yes, I made the worst decision of my racing career. I intentionally took out my brother out of this race, like as if there was any, you know, black and white, a maybe or you know, maybe got too close. No. He says he made the decision to spit him out after all these years. And of course, it created this huge rift that that carried on for years. Apparently, you know, there had been family issues beforehand they didn't really get into. But, you know, there was no way for him to prove it but or say for sure. But of course, some of that may have bubbled to the top while he's, you know, has his hands on the steering wheel in that moment. Uh, whatever the rift was, it, it only, you know, exacerbated it for years. Apparently, I think Jeff Bodine said they, they ended up going on Oprah at some point trying to reconcile. What? And yeah, but that that was the whole part of it all. If you go in the story and, you know, when we post this, I'll, I'll post the YouTube link again. But uh, you know, it took them years, but you know, I had them sitting right next to each other. So at one point there was a reconciliation and, you know, they love each other more than ever. But in that moment, uh, one brother took the other one out uh, literally out of infamy. I mean, what, think of what winning the Brickyard 400 did for Jeff Gordon, right? We'll think about it forever. What, you know, what, what could have been had Jeff Bodine won that race. You know, who knows the different turns of what would have happened had his own brother not taken him out. And I just think back as one of the major moments in in racing history for me. And uh, so it was a privilege to sit down with both of them and get their sides of it. And, uh, you know, to his credit, Jeff Bodine holds no ill will at this point. 
thinks, you know, if that hadn't happened, who knows how long they would have never talked, you know, because eventually that that incident had to bring them together. Uh, it was just an interesting story about brothers, about racing, about all sorts of stuff. And it went so many layers deep beyond that, that one moment on the track. And uh, again, it was such a privilege to be able to tell that later in life. We're probably not the NASCAR podcast that anybody would think about. Uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, lifting the possible existence of karma, but <laughs> that was not only Brett Bodine's best finish because he went on to finish second in that race yeah. in, ni- yep. in 94. It was his final top five finish ever. Wow. And he competed eight more full seasons after that. So it was a, you know, a sell his soul kind of moment <laughs> that, that decision as he so put it. And as for Jeff, because he was not yet Jeffrey, this year, 1994, was the height of possibly a midlife crisis. He was <laughs> 45. Uh, he was driving for the team that he owned. He was dating Tanya Tucker. Yep. He was rocking an earring. He was riding on Hoosiers. That seems kind of badass, right? Like he He won three times this season. In only two other years in his career, 1984 and 1990, he won at least three races. This year was also, simultaneously, his worst based on average finish of his 16-year career to that point. So highs and lows within the scope of a year, that was probably, if I have to guess, the wildest single year of Jeff Bodine's I'm going to say life. I'm going to go that far <laughs> because there was a lot going on for him in 1994. I can only imagine. And just that beautiful Exide car. Remember that seven post Kowicki? Uh, you know, just so many good memories of the early 90s from that era. Uh, Dave, interesting note, David, all three Bodines led the inaugural Brickyard 400 at one point or not. I mean, talk about a piece of trivia. So, uh, so many things to remember. I know everyone remembers Jeff Gordon, Ernie Irvin, you know, losing the tire. He should have probably, you know, probably should have won at the end or at least been right there, but it was Jeff Gordon. And that started the the legend of what he would become, all that stuff. I know he'd won in Charlotte, but it really exploded when he won the inaugural Brickyard 400. And I just think about all of the what ifs about that day. Uh, crazy, crazy, David. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, that was a fun way to start the uh, episode, looking back on the Brickyard. But let's look uh, you know, let's look into the past. Let's look toward the, the present and more the future, David. The future, David? Yes, the future. Uh, well beyond the year 2021, because we're going to talk about the hottest driver in NASCAR right now outside of Kyle Larson. Let us talk about Ty Gibbs. Yes, the, the young Young, young driver of, uh, you know, obviously of Gibbs family fame, but making his own name, his own way with all the wins so far in the Xfinity series. He just won in Watkins Glen, uh, beating some really good competition in that 54 car. David, it seems like it's time, you know, for the for the listeners that don't know. I mean, we love you, David, because you're you're level headed. Sometimes I joke and call you emotionless, all this stuff, but you are level headed. You are able to look at things without emotion, just in numbers and analytics, all this stuff. Why do you want to talk about Ty Gibbs? Why now? Uh, I mean, it is an interesting subject. Uh, It has become uh, too loud to ignore his success in a small sample size. And I think anytime any driver just pops up I won't say out of nowhere, but he, he he certainly established himself within the wider motorsports consciousness this season. Anytime a driver does that and there is a small sample size, I think it's okay to question whether it's real, uh, whether what we're seeing is a bit far-fetched. Uh, I don't know, but there's a lot going on here and there's a lot to unpack. And he truly is a fascinating individual, probably a future star in this sport, if everything keeps going the way it's going. So yeah, he is, he's earned his just due and, uh, we should certainly have a chat about him. Yeah. Again, something of a small sample size, I guess, uh, depending on what numbers you look at, uh, but, uh, he's got the, the multiple victories already in the Xfinity series. So from a statistical standpoint, what pops out at you, even if we don't have that much uh, of a look at him, you know, at the highest level, which is the Xfinity series for him so far. Yeah, so he's he has a 5.1 production and equal equipment rating, which is very high. It ranks first <laughs> among Xfinity Series drivers with a minimum of six starts. He has a 6.613 peer in races containing at least one late restart, and that ranks first in the series by a large margin. His all-in position retention rate on restarts, restarts are something that are uh, is very difficult for young drivers uh, to pull off uh, in any series. Gibbs is doing very well. His rate, 76.4%. That ranks third among drivers with at least 10 attempts from each groove. It trails only Kyle Busch and Austin Sendrick. And there is no more efficient passer than Ty Gibbs, a surplus passing value nearly 8%. He's uh, actually earned over 121 positions beyond his statistical expectation. That is the most of any driver despite running a limited schedule. Okay, so the numbers are there beyond just the victories, and, and that's a fun way to look at it. But we also put out uh, a, a mini bat signal, we'll say, David, for uh, for listener questions on the Motorsports Analytics Discord. Yes, it exists. Yes, you should get on it. Uh, and so we have some questions surrounding Ty Gibbs. So we'll start off first. Uh, Alan from Charlotte, 
uh, a good looking young man, uh, mm. wants to know, <laughs> David, I wanted, uh, when we brought up this subject, one of the first things that popped into my head is we've, we talk prospects a lot on this podcast. That's why a lot of people listen. We have talked about and um, kind of hyped at times, if you will, got names like Chandler Smith, names like Sam Mayer. W- what makes Ty Gibbs different from other big names that we've talked about before like that? Y- you know, young up and comers that we've expected to have bright futures. What makes Ty Gibbs, does he stand out at all? Yeah. Uh, what makes what we're seeing from him, uh, different? I would say it's an easy answer. Everything that he is doing that is impressing us this year at the Xfinity series level, it's at the Xfinity series level there. Mm -hmm. Uh, in theory, no other stock car series is more competitive and the wins, two of them came on road courses. They came against Austin Sendrick and AJ Allmendinger, Mind you, I'm maybe a month out of writing an article for NBC Sports about Cindric and Almendinger being potential Cup Series road course race winners. That is a significant measuring stick for Ty Gibbs. Uh, he also won a Charlotte Oval race that also included Chase Briscoe and Tyler Reddick, among a few others. So again, not insignificant victories, uh, certainly stiff competition. And you know, Alan, before Pierre, I scouted without much statistical aid, and I used a lot of drivers as measuring sticks. Frank Kimmel was <laughs> the measuring stick for a lot of drivers in ARCA. Uh, he certainly was back when Kyle Busch got his start. Similarly, when cup drivers could compete in the Xfinity series on a more frequent basis, that was a natural benchmark. That's no longer present. So we have to make do. And for Ty Gibbs, he's faring incredibly well against what are now relevant benchmarks in the best possible developmental series. That's high praise, but you know he's earning it. So uh, that's interesting that he's doing it at this level where we haven't seen as much. I mean, Sam Ayer's getting some starts. Chandler Smith certainly hasn't been there yet, so uh, can't draw a direct comparison. But yeah, the fact that he's doing it at such a high level obviously stands out. That's why we're talking about him. All right, next up uh, from the Motorsports Analytics Discord, a question from Spencer Fasqueta. Uh, What specifically is Ty Gibbs doing so well? Because we know that the 54 car is basically the best car in the field, and while it's impressive he's producing so well with his lack of relative seat time, it's difficult to discern just how much of this success is because of the infrastructure around him, not just driving ability. So David, I guess Spencer wants us to dig a little deeper. Yes, he's got a great car. Yes, he's got Gibbs, Toyota, all that backing. Is there any way to dig down on what Ty Gibbs is specifically doing well? Is the good stat work not good enough for you? Come on now. (laughs) No, the, the, the good stats, that's key in understanding if and how he is clearing the bar. Riley Herbst last year in this equipment was not nearly as productive, and we've seen poor restarters in good equipment against the same competition and poor passers. So those big numbers are not meaningless. Having said that, Spencer is right. This is the fastest car in the series. Uh, Chris Gale, the crew chief, was literally a Cup Series crew chief as recently as last year. This is close to a Cup Series program. But I would argue it's because of the strength of the program and everything at its disposal 
why Ty Gibbs is so good so soon. He visited the Toyota Racing Simulator at an earlier age than most Toyota prospects. He's been around and privy to the latest and greatest engineering and data developments in stock car racing. And without question, this is an opportunity that most drivers simply don't get. But he's taken full advantage of this opportunity. If he squandered it, it would be a shame. But it appears that he's bought into this kind of this science project of becoming an elite <laughs> race car driver and it's paying off in in actual races with victories and when that happens yeah i i suppose other drivers could be bitter that they aren't receiving this same opportunity but that's it that's all they can be because you can't argue that he's failing to do something with everything that's been given to him every driver is dealt a different hand some hands are better than others. And Ty Gibbs has come very close, I would say, to maximizing his very good hand, which is all you can ever really do. So I, I'm I'm of the mind that, yeah, he's he's got a really good team around him and he's also incredibly talented. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me, I don't, was it this year? It seems like so long ago. Remember when Denny Hamlin and Corey LaJoy were kind of beefing over Twitter and Denny said something to the effect, you, you, you want to know pressure? How about having the best team and the fastest car and then having to perform? That's real pressure. And I feel like that's what Ty, Ty Gibbs is doing, right? I mean, you can bitch and moan all you want about his last name, the equipment that he's given, what he's in. But it, it, when you're in the best stuff, you have the highest expectations and, and he's going out there and winning with it. Like you can't ask any more of him. So to me, th- that does, you know, in my mind, he is rising to, the, to that occasion of living up to what is surrounding him, right? You can, he's got all these resources. He better perform with them. And, and would you believe he actually is? At a fraction of the experience level as some of his competitors. I mean, he's beating A.J. Allmendinger on road courses. A.J. Allmendinger is in the prime of his career and one of the greatest road course drivers to ever step foot in NASCAR. And Gibbs has two on him this season. So on road courses, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And considering the age, uh, this is just the beginning. If he keeps up the same work ethic, we're going to see a lot more. Next up from Adam Sturgeon on the Discord. As an observation, it seems like when the 54 has been starting mid-pack, most of its drivers have been able to get to the top five. It seems like it takes Ty two stages to get there versus a stage or less for some of the cup guys. Is this backed up by any of the respective drivers' numbers? He did not score stage points in the uh, in the first stage of the, of the road course races. I'm talking Daytona, Mid-Ohio, Road America and Watkins Glen, but that was more of a choice uh, because not being a full time driver, those extra points aren't really necessary if your goal and only goal is the overall race win. Uh, so in some oval races, he finished the first stage 10th at Phoenix, 9th at Darlington, 7th at Dover, 6th at Pocono. He did have a few better uh, stage one finishes mixed in elsewhere. But I think you you, you kind of get the idea. And for one, the cup guys that have gotten into this 54 car, and namely it's Kyle Busch, they understand how to hustle a car 
from the middle of the pack into clean air without much risk because they've sort of all seen it before. They know what to expect. And against the Xfinity series field, that that's probably not much of a challenge, right? Like no offense to, you know, Jade Buford, but he's not throwing any <laughs> curveball that Kyle Busch hasn't seen, right? Yeah. So for for Ty Gibbs, there there might be some things he hasn't seen before and it might be okay to be a little bit delicate early on. And the the pass efficiency and the passing totals suggest that he eventually does make the passes at uh, a, a better clip necessary <laughs> compared to his average running position. But to me, it's okay for him to tiptoe through the field early, especially when he isn't practicing much. We got to keep that in mind. That, that's key. And he he does have this kind of speed and any kind of over eagerness, you're going to run some folks over. Yeah, you, you might want to avoid that. So in that sense, if he's, if he's there at the end of the race and he's not competing for uh, a points championship, I think what we're seeing from him is okay. So that that might be something that changes in year two if he's to run a full Xfinity Series season. Maybe that's that is Ty Gibbs 2.0. But right now, for the 1.0 version, this is a pretty solid game plan. Nice, good analysis there. Uh, next up, question from Jod G on Discord. Ignoring any sponsorship things or a Suarez situation where the Cup team absolutely needs him right now. Given what he's shown, we're talking Ty Gibbs, given what Ty Gibbs has shown and what we know about driver development in general, when and how would you bring Ty to cup? Uh, you know, would you do any part-time years like Cindric right now or straight to full-time like with the Chase Briscoe? How do you answer that one, David? <laughs> so I think either option would be fine, but mm. I I do really like what Penske has done this year with Austin Cindric because even though it's a different car that... Cindric is driving this year in cup compared to the one that he'll drive uh, next year in the, in the two car, the competition is the same and the mixture of tracks. There are road courses on his limited schedule, which is great because he's good on road courses, but there's also a Richmond in there and an Atlanta. And those are tracks where he just went out and got his ass kicked. And that's, not a bad thing. It's a learning opportunity and it's a, an opportunity to do it when the spotlight really isn't on him this season. He's not a full-time driver. JGR has the infrastructure wherewithal to do something similar to that. And that coupled with a full-time Xfinity series slate next year, that would be enormous for Ty Gibbs's development next year or, or 2023, whenever they feel he's ready to go that that's a that's a pretty killer schedule and a and a pretty good assimilation plan uh because the cup series isn't a joke as Chase Briscoe can attest uh this season it's a it's a different brand of competition but I like how Austin Cendrick dipped his toe in the water this year and that can be part of the uh, developmental blueprint for a lot of young drivers going forward I'm the same way in terms of uh, I love a good development plan, but I also I don't think anyone, you know, throw them in the deep end sometimes. Right. Because you're not going to get any 
it's not going to get any tougher than being in cup right every single weekend. So I'm not always against that, but I, I, I just bring up the development plan. David, I remember you mentioning a few years ago, Ryan Blaney's development, right? They dipped his toe in the cup waters, right? He raced a lot. I don't think he ran for a championship in any series, right? A few years ago, you know, as he was coming up, but he just raced as much as he could, whether it was trucks, whether it was Xfinity or occasional cup races all in the same year. And it was more the experience uh, in different types of stuff in terms of his development, dipping his toe in the water before, you know, throwing him in the deep end of just cup. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like something similar could work there. Yeah. Yeah. Blaney had a full season across three different series. I think like in the aggregate, it, it, it made about 33 races or something like that, but yeah, you can get creative. And certainly if he's with JGR, they have the cars, they can, they can have the, or go, or go find the outlet for him to compete at, you know, four or five one-off, uh, races at specific tracks just to get acquainted to, it'll be a new car too. And, and again, the different competition level just to see where he stacks up and, and gets him a shot at understanding that the, uh, the benchmark is, uh, has increased, right? Like it, at some point he, he, he's, he's going to be the best driver bar none in, in the Xfinity series if he isn't already, but that won't be the case once he gets to the cup series, the sooner that he can comprehend that, the sooner he can work on bridging that gap from where he is now to where he wants to be in the future. All right. And finally, Alan from Charlotte has another question. <laughs> David, this has just comes from my time uh, covering the truck series, right? Being on pit road all those years. Uh, it just had me wondering, do, does Ty's success say anything about the truck series and its necessity or lack thereof for a place on the ladder system? Basically, do prospects need the truck series? And what had me thinking about this, you know, Christopher Bell, uh, William Byron, Chase Briscoe, Eric Jones, Austin Sindrick, they all spent plenty of time in the truck series. They climbed that ladder. But then I think about Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott drove 16 total truck races, and he's a cup champion at 24, right? Clearly didn't need that much. Uh, Harrison Burton did not have a ton of success in the truck series. Went out the next year, won four Xfinity Series races. Not so many this year, but he worked himself right into a cup ride next year. So... How do you look at the the truck series in terms of a development tool and someone as a young driver who's already proven success? Uh, do you need to make that step? Has he outproven himself already? Is that what it means? Like, oh, you've proven yourself. You don't need to do that. Like, how, how do you look at it? All right. So we had a few truck series related questions in the Discord channel, and they all sort of can get the same answer, which is just in relation to Ty Gibbs. If any one driver becomes the new development blueprint and makes the truck series irrelevant, it will not be Ty Gibbs because there isn't another prospect whose grandfather owns a title winning cup program that is the (laughs) flagship of a manufacturer and has the built in ability to skip the truck series entirely. Now, having said that, you mentioned a few really interesting names. Every driver's path is different. Mm. I don't think anyone is trying to skip steps per se, though the order of those steps can be debated. You, you mentioned Harrison Burton, but I'll throw in Chase Briscoe, Ryan Blaney. For them, the truck series is arguably more difficult than Xfinity for them. The, the reality is that drivers compete in the series that will have them. 
I recall a few years ago, Zane Smith being sort of knocked on uh, social media for for making his national series debut in the Xfinity series straight from ARCA by running a handful of races for junior motorsports. Well, that was the opportunity for him that was on the table uh, that he could afford to do. There wasn't anything full-time available to him anywhere, including the truck series. So he simply took the best available ride. And in a similar case, Michael McDowell, if you can remember back this far, he went straight from ARCA to the Cup Series after the 2007 season. And I worked with him closely that year. I was working with MMI at the time. And that move was made not because he was trying to skip steps, but it was literally the only job offer for him on the table. Michael Waldrop Racing Cup Ride or nothing. <laughs> so he, he he took it. And I mean, I, I read the message boards back then bashing that decision as if he had some way to create a more appropriate ride that better matched his skill set. But literally, it was the Cup Series or nothing, and he chose to race. So this idea that every driver is methodically climbing a ladder in some sort of order that's all it is. It's an idea. In actuality, these are decisions, typically year to year, driven by money and opportunity. And Ty Gibbs had the opportunity to skip the truck series, but not after a lot of ARCA experience uh, to go straight to the Xfinity series. And that opportunity isn't guaranteed to exist elsewhere. You can skip trucks and do just fine. You, you didn't mention Joey Logano. He skipped trucks. He turned out great. He's one of the one of the best debuts in Xfinity Series history. And you can skip the Xfinity Series and do fine because Kurt Busch did that. You can skip ARCA. There really isn't uh, a correct path one way or another. So as long as there's a truck series, I think it will be an outlet that is useful for driver development. It'll be competitive some years not competitive in other years, but it'll always be there. And for some, if that is the most viable, affordable option, they're going to take it and just take whatever chances they can get. Nice. Great discussion all around. I know it's centered around Ty Gibbs, but a lot of the stuff we talked about, you can apply to uh, many young prospects or future up and coming prospects. So uh, just think about some of this stuff when, when you're thinking about uh, young drivers and how they should move up and where they're performing and what series they're doing in uh, just a different way to think about some of these young drivers. I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day -day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O -O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way, from creating product listings, to making discount codes, to managing shipments. In fact, if you wanna see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com. 
Bluehost.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Woo Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. David, let's move on to our preview, Indianapolis Road Course, the first time ever. The cup cars will run the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. RIP to the Brickyard 400. Uh, very sad. Anyway, David, we'll, we'll, we'll move on, right? <laughs> this is the second to last road course of 2021. Uh, we just had one last week at Watkins Glen. And taking a look at the stats, David, uh, this is an interesting question. Who are we surprised by that has underperformed on road courses this year? I've got some names. How about you? You, you want to go first? I did. No, I want to hear yours. You say okay. you get names plural. Let's hear them. Oh yeah, I got some names. Okay. Well, look, I, I did a lot of mine were just based on points and maybe versus expectations. At least what I had in my head. Okay. Uh, like, like William Byron, we talked about the speed that he's had, right? That you know he had uh, so much Hendrick Carr. He's had speed in the past on these road courses. Uh, he came through at the Glen, but before that, just the finishes they just weren't there, right? Based on his skill level and the car he's driving, just complete underperformance. I feel this year on the road courses in terms of results. I, I know we don't always measure results as, as how well they're doing, but still uh, needed a few more points. Same thing, Brad Keselowski and Ryan Blaney. Those two have combined for one top five in 10 races, which is, seems crazy to me given, again, their skill, their, their histories, the cars and equipment that they are in. Uh, David, we spend a lot of time essentially crapping on Austin Dillon's road course skills. Uh, for good reason, right? He, he's 0 for 20 at getting a top 10 in his career at road courses. Well, guess what? Austin Dillon has outscored Brad Kozlowski and Ryan Blaney on road courses this year. So yeah, for me, Brad and Ryan Blaney are uh, underperforming so far on road courses. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'll agree with you on on all of those. I mean, I predicted that Byron would win a road course race this year that hasn't come to fruition. Kazlowski has spun or crashed seven times in five road course races this year. Whoa. Just a, an unfathomable rate. But I will share with you something that has bugged me. It's probably not surprising that these two drivers haven't popped a, a good result on road courses, but given what they're able to do, it's kind of disappointing. JTG Doherty Racing has two cars with okay to mediocre speed. They have pit crews that are typically problems. And naturally, these are issues everywhere. But for Ryan Priest and Ricky Stenhouse, in those two guys, the, the organization employs the second most efficient passer and the fourth most efficient passer on road courses. And mind you, it's incredibly difficult to pass at some of these places. Chase Elliott was vocal about that 
last week before Watkins Glen. He thinks Watkins Glen is tough to pass. And if he says that, then you can, you know, okay, that, that, that's something <laughs> to be said. But they rank 24th and 25th in points scored. Again, I'm not expecting them to win races. But JTG Doherty failed to take ownership of what is an apparent strength. And because it clearly could be an opportunity for a more focused effort towards race wins or point padding, it's neither as far as I can tell. The the guys you mentioned, yeah, it it sure seems like Byron should be doing better and Keselowski too, but in all reality, they'll be fine. They're going to the playoffs. So this instance with JTG, the drivers are quantifiably strong in their road racing efforts and the team cannot at the very least meet them halfway. So in that sense, it's more than an underperformance. It's a waste. And I'm surprised in this era of NASCAR that an entire program fails to recognize a strength. And in, in, in that, this is this is wasteful. Priest and Stenhouse uh, seem as if they deserve better because what they've been able to do this year on road courses is not something – all drivers can do. It's we, we talk about drivers who can pass efficiently on road courses. Martin Truex, Russ Chastain has been a subject of ours lately uh, in these discussions. Chase Elliott, they're up there with them, but their teams uh, cannot provide them the vehicle to uh, to make hay out of it. Interesting. Look, I was just looking at the point standings. You're digging deep for us. Thank you on that, David. <laughs> uh, like I said, this is the we've had so many road courses. You know, there's seven on the schedule. We've had five already. Uh, the next one, this Indianapolis one road course we're going to, never been there before for the Cup cars anyway. But the last year, the Xfinity Series did race there. Uh, David, you were looking at the tape. Did you learn anything that we can take away from the Xfinity Series race that potentially apply? Uh, when we're trying to predict or just think about the cup race on Sunday. So I'll confess the order in which I watched this race. It was directly after the IndyCar street course race in <laughs> Nashville. And that might affect my thinking here, but I quite fancy the Indianapolis road course. It's great. There's a ton of running room. No one is cramped on the restarts. <laughs> there are just two heavy braking areas, but uh, the Xfinity drivers last year were able to pass efficiently. Uh, they absolutely uh, did that. Briscoe and Cindric just had a field day. The track is flat. We don't see too many road courses like that. Uh, in that sense, it sort of drives like a, a big old go-kart track. The curbing is relatively flat. We saw Chase Briscoe just storming through corners, driving atop curbs like it was no big deal. And it's incredibly racy. Uh, the field will eventually spread out. That's what's going to happen on a long course. It's over 2.4 miles long, but it was entertaining enough, competitive enough, and it had a hint of strategy, even in an Xfinity race. The cup race will be longer, and it will likely contain a low caution volume, so strategy, uh, maybe maybe attempting to pit uh, one stop less than the, the majority of the field. That will be key. Might, might be difficult to pull off. Um, but there isn't any unusual gimmick here. There will be practice and qualifying, so no competition caution. I think from the looks of it, we have ourselves a true road race. And in that sense, I expect the cream to rise to the top. 
Yeah. And we heard from some drivers this week. Um, w- one thing I heard, I mean, t- more tire wear than other road courses, right? I mean, so maybe the, the, the surface or what have you, but uh, maybe more something more of a factor than we've seen in other road courses. I'm not sure exactly how that will factor in, but uh, just something we heard from drivers this week and, and teams that there is something of a tire wear. They're paying more attention to the tire wear at the Indy road course than they usually do at some of the other road courses. I don't know how much that factors in. Which is kind of fun, right? Like we don't really talk about that uh, as much as we probably should. Um, but just consider what Indy has been. It is it is constantly flummoxed Goodyear throughout the year. So it's appropriate that tires are going to be a discussion point at Indianapolis. But by and large, I think the, that, that can be figured out because the short pitting and long pitting of it all, that was already going to be on the minds of crew chiefs. And this is, this isn't an additional element. Well, I guess it is, but it's one that sort of fits into the discussion neatly. So I I don't, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic and it can affect the outcome certainly by how drivers drive, but as it, you know, affects strategy, I don't know. It kind of fits neatly in. Like I said, if this is, this is going to be a pretty straightforward race, I I think it, it has a chance to just be Uh, a lot of fun and you know look a good final stage on a road course that's competitive that usually pans out to be some compelling entertainment all right well given all that and what we do know what we don't if you will let's go to our win picks david are you choosing someone other than chase elliott no, he's still my go-to road course. <laughs> me <pick>. too, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I, w- I would do no such thing. Um, I, I do think Kyle Larson has probably usurped Martin Truex as his uh, Moriarty. Uh, and, and But I, I think the front of the field could very much become a track position race, especially if it does get spread out even with a tire wear. Uh, Elliot might be disadvantaged if it boils down to strategy, but the speed is just still there. And, and that's what tips things over in these road course races. And again, there's, there is qualifying, um, this, this weekend and that should make it a little bit more of a, a closer to a traditional race where we will see the fast cars at the front of the field, right off the bat. The speed was there at Watkins Glen. He turned the fastest oh, yeah. lap of the race. Uh, the driving chops were there. It just, didn't help Elliot. He didn't start last weekend's uh, race near the front. He was started dead last. So if that doesn't happen this weekend, if he can just get a, a starting spot more commensurate with the speed, he's still going to be thoroughly difficult to defeat. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, asked a few drivers this week if there's any comparison with Indy Road Course to any of the other road courses we've been on so far. Uh, I got a no from one driver and uh, AJ Allmendinger struggled to say maybe road America and, and that's where Chase won. So if there is some sort of similarity, uh, I'm going with Chase Elliott. Yes. At the Indy road course. How about our contrarian contenders, David? Uh, last week uh, was fun. I think you and I went with maybe Tyler Reddick and Ross Chastain, uh, you know, performers uh, when they should be, you know, maybe they could shake up the, the, playoff picture a little bit, but, uh, are you picking anyone different contrarian contender this week in the Indy road course? No, I just get the same notes from last week. You're just going to go to Ross Chastain again. I mean, he's, he is, uh, he's a good road course racer. I mean, I don't even know he's a contrarian and that he's outside of the playoff picture with uh, a team uh, with middling speed, if any, but no, he, he is a thoroughly terrific road course racer and an efficient passer 
and now it's more of an expectation that he finishes near the front. And that that's kind of what I'm coming to expect. I'm going with something of a little change up, David. I'm going with his teammate, Kurt Busch. Uh, get the, and then maybe this is more of a, you know, he's Kurt Busch, he's race winner, champion, all that stuff. So maybe not contrarian, but for you fantasy players, fantasy live players, maybe listen to this. Kurt Busch on the speed charts, David, 750 horsepower tracks, median lap times. He ranks 17th or 18th, right? You know, on regular tracks, regular non-drafting ovals. On road courses, he's the seventh fastest car. <laughs> it's crazy. The big jump in terms of points scored. He has the fifth most points scored on road courses this season. That is more than Kyle Busch. That is more than Martin Truex Jr. Uh, if you, again, if you compare it to Road America, this Indy road course, Kurt Busch was fourth at Road America. So I think, yeah, a contrarian contender for the victory. Give me Kurt Busch all day. Okay, so we're we're going all in on Chip Ganassi Racing as our contrarians at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Interesting. Yes. All right. Good stuff. All right. Another good episode. Don't forget, we are available on all major podcast platforms, no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. That stuff helps spread the word. We absolutely notice. It is so appreciated. Thank you so much for telling other people about it. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Reach out to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. Sometimes we do entire full episodes based on your questions. We appreciate them. David, I know you're always working hard. What do you got this week? This week for NBC Sports, I'm posting an analysis of Daniel Suarez's first year driving for Trackhouse Racing and on Motorsports Analytics. Open market values for all free agent drivers have already been updated, uh, as have the top 10 most valuable list and the top 10 under 30. So be sure to check that out. A direct link to it is motorsportsanalytics.net backslash market. Good stuff there. Always working hard. Uh, Same with me. Just check out my uh, social channels at Alan Kavana on Twitter. After you listen to this on Thursday morning, thank you for being a subscriber. Make sure you hit up my Twitter and look up uh, the latest edition of Quick Hits, the video I do for Speed Sport because it is a big weekend outside the world of NASCAR. David, did you know IndyCar is also at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, road course this weekend? Yes, NASCAR and IndyCar same weekend at Indy, going to be a big deal. The Knoxville Nationals, we got to preview it all. Just watch the Quick Hits video on Speed Sport. Make sure you watch Fantasy Live on NASCAR.com. That usually posts Friday afternoon. Myself and Amy Long giving you good nuggets for your fantasy team as we propel toward the playoffs. Uh, good stuff as always. Yeah, and just make sure you follow me on uh, the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Thank you, as always, for listening to Positive Regression. This has been episode 115. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. We will see you next week. positively impact our communities throughout the country. 
what do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University graduates 25,000 students yearly and offers more than 225 high-quality programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu.